Let us pray. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Thank you, Father, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, to the pulling down of strongholds. It is not my righteousness that gives me authority to stand against the enemy, but the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ. The helmet of salvation brings every thought into alignment with your word and guards my thoughts from the lying assaults of the enemy. I lift up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy and wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I have the belt of truth and the shoes of peace. I stand in the strength of the Lord, ready to defeat the devil. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's daily prayer. For more inspiration and an incredible message from our feature pastor, stay tuned to Pray.com's Sunday Service. Welcome to Pray.com's Sunday Service, sponsored by Altrua HealthShare. Follow this podcast and listen weekly to receive godly wisdom and practical advice for daily living. Stay tuned for Sunday service, coming up after a quick word from our sponsors. There's an innovative, better way to find health care. We're Altrua HealthShare, an affordable and flexible way to take care of your family. We're a community of like-minded, health-conscious individuals who share in each other's medical needs. And you can customize your health care your way with Altrua HealthShare. You can build your membership based on your season of life and your family's needs. Head to myshare.org to find out more. That's myshare.org. Altrua HealthShare, where we care for one another. I'm Matt Reister, the Executive Director of CC Podcasts, and I want to thank you for joining us on Pray.com for today's Sunday service. Our ministry has been around for 87 years as a radio preaching ministry, and more recently, we've added a couple podcasts to our weekly radio broadcast, and I'll tell you more about that at the end of today's service. More importantly, I want to tell you that we're here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to promote the truth of God's Word. Toward that end, I'm excited for you to hear a sermon by one of our radio preachers, Pastor Tim Butker, which he gave at the 102nd Cedar Falls Bible Conference earlier this year. It's our prayer that you'll be inspired, shaped, and challenged by God's Word as communicated by Tim. And while you're here, I hope you'll take the opportunity to follow our profile so you can more easily access CC Podcast content going forward. Also, If this message is meaningful to you in any way, I hope you'll consider sharing it with a family member or a friend. Again, thank you for joining CC Podcasts on Pray.com for today's Sunday service. I'll talk to you one more time at the end of this sermon, and God bless you as you listen to the preaching of His Word. I want to talk to you about being shaped by God's Word. It's the mission of the Bible Conference. Matt mentioned it. Actually, the original mission of the Cedar Falls Bible Conference and the mission today are similar. The original mission was to provide biblical instruction to build up believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and expand his kingdom. To provide biblical instruction and build up believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and expand his kingdom. We've shortened it down now. It's a little broader target audience. It doesn't just target to believers. It is 
for people to be inspired, challenged, and shaped by God's Word. I've underlined God's Word because what we're talking about today is being shaped by it. And then, of course, inspired by it and being shaped by it, we're challenged by it. I want to begin with a picture of my son and my grandson. I believe that's on the screen here. Can you see that? Is that up there? No, it's not. There it is. You have it? Okay. My son is 28 years old. He weighs in at 320 pounds. He's substantially bigger than his son, who is three years old and weighs in somewhere between 40 and 45 pounds. They are fun to watch interact with each other. The little one there calls the big one there the mountain, and he likes to climb the mountain. They have a lot of fun together, and sometimes they break out into a little squabble with each other. It's a squabble that can break out almost any time of the day. I've seen it happen many times right in our own home. The squabble goes something like this. Clay decides he wants to do something that he wants to do, but it's not appropriate for him to do it right now, so my son tells him no. And then he fights against my son's dad authority, and my son picks him up and sort of reminds him face to face, Clay, remember we've talked about, and in their words, who's the boss? Who's the boss? And they have this squabble over, who's the boss? See, Clay, he just wants to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, by his own authority, his own decision making. And my son knows that's not always the best thing for him. My son knows that a lot of times he wants to do things that aren't good for him. He wants to eat things that aren't good for him. He wants to stay up when he shouldn't stay up. And, and he wants to not take naps when he should take naps. And, and all of these kind of things. And, and they'll get to squabbling and there will be a conflict of wills between them. My son knows he even sometimes chooses to do things that are dangerous for himself and even dangerous for others. Not long ago, I was standing with his mother on our deck at our home, and I was standing there holding his little sister. Her name's Kylie. And our deck sits up about this far, same as this stage off the ground. And we were chatting when Clay slipped down the steps and got onto our driveway. And we're, our house sits on a, on a highway, the University Avenue outside of town. And the cars go by there about 60 to 70 miles an hour. Speed limit's 55. But they go there 60 to 70 miles an hour, and, and Clay decided to slip down, and we didn't see it at first, but he saw that road down to the highway. He just started sprinting right towards the highway. And I sat there and saw him, and his mother saw him. That's what he wanted to do right then. And he was sprinting towards And I looked at his mom, and we both just froze for a minute, and I'm holding his little sister and I look at the railing on the deck, and on the other side of the railing, there's some bushes down there, and I'm calculating whether I could actually make a leap over the railing into the bushes and actually make it to my grandson before he got to the highway. And it was doubtful. I was in shorts, and these bushes are very prickly. And I knew it would be a bloody proposition, but I was debating whether I could get the job done. His mother was standing there beside me. She's in flip-flops. And she's calculating whether she could run fast enough in flip-flops without tripping to get to him before he gets to the highway. I'm telling you, it was, it was a situation where your heart skips a beat. It really was. 
And I watched Catherine, his mother, go down there and run as fast as she could in her flip-flops and catch him about five to seven yards before the highway. And you just don't forget it because of the emotion around it. That, that's him doing what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, by his own decision-making process. They're arguing over the issue of authority. This argument comes up between them frequently. They're, they're questioning who's in charge, and Clay's questioning who's in charge. When we're talking about the Bible, we have to first address the issue of the validity of the Bible. Matt mentioned the inerrancy of the Bible. The Bible has been proven time and time again just as a historical record to be valid. We've had many speakers here at the Bible conference talk about that. And once we assess and discern the validity of the Bible, then the question comes of what authority should we let it have in our lives? What kind of power should we give it over us? Authority is the power or right to, to make decisions, set standards, give orders, call for obedience, make judgments, orchestrate consequences. God does entrust human beings with certain amounts of authority in our lives. But the question is, what authority should we give this book in our lives? Should we let it shape our lives? Should we let it mold our lives? And the question I'm asking today of you is, whom or what are you letting have the most influential shaping authority in your life? Whom or what are you letting have the most influential shaping authority in your life? Not just physically with what food you're allowing into your body, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Whom are you letting have the most influential shaping authority in your life? I want to make a couple observations about authority. It's a hard word to talk about because so many people have such pain regarding authority in their lives. There's no question that in a world like ours, a fallen wor world that's filled with sinful and selfish human beings, authority is abused. It has been abused. It is being abused. And many people suffer from abuse under authority. Dare I say all of us at one level or another have experienced abuse of authority in our lives because there's no perfect human authority this side of heaven. Some governments have been terribly abusive in the history of mankind. And not just at a national level, but then you can bring it down to a state level and a local level. And then even the authority that's provided in a home can be abused. So we acknowledge there's much hurt and pain around authority in our world. We also acknowledge that just like Clayton, we all have a propensity to want to be our own highest authority. It's like a mass chaos in the world of people wanting to be in charge of their own lives, doing what they want to do whenever they want to do it by their own fruition. This is the root of human nature. It's not just two-year-olds and three-year-olds. We all have a great propensity to want to be our own authority. We see this from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the Lord God took the man. He created the man. Now, you just notice when you, when you read the scriptures and just you think about the world. Who's in charge here? 
the Lord God took the man and he put the man in the world that he created, in the garden that he created, and he gave him some direction there. He said, you're free to eat. You have a certain amount of authority that I've put you here on this earth with. In this garden that I've put you in, you're free to eat. It's the first mention of freedom in the scriptures. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, God had produced all kinds of vegetation in the garden from the springs of the earth that burst forth there. And there was lots with fruit-bearing trees. But he put in the very center of the garden, I find this interesting, in the very center of the garden, he put the tree of life, the Bible tells us, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he restricted Adam, and he told him, you're free to eat from any of these trees, but not this one in the center that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know if anyone has ever put something near, you know, a focal point in your life that's tempting, but my wife does it frequently. She has a store where they serve a lot of desserts in this store. And at the end of the week, she'll bring some of these desserts into the home and she'll, she'll set some on the kitchen counter or right there on our kitchen island in the center of all the traffic. And what happens when you mill around this, this dessert and it starts, you start to smell and stuff is all of a sudden your flesh starts to speak to you. See, we're created with longings in there, desires in our flesh. And the flesh starts to speak to you. And all of a sudden, your eyes, you know, the, you, you're trying to avoid so you don't eat too much of stuff that's not good for you. But you, you smell it. Your flesh is creating a want. Your eyes see it. And you have the lust of the eyes. And, and then you, you take some. And you eat it. This is what God did put a tree right in the center of the garden that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said to the first man, he said, now don't eat of this tree. You can do anything else. You can eat from any other tree. But don't eat from this tree. But there's something in us, you see. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like having rules drawn for us. Even this is before the fall. This is even, be, and something happens with this temptation in there, and the scripture says, the woman. Now, God created a woman. We'll get to that here in a minute. But she saw with her eyes the fruit of the tree. She saw it was good for food, her flesh. And also desirable. Here now what we have the scriptures call the pride of life. For gaining wisdom and building ourselves up. Wisdom and knowledge. So in direct violation to the authority of the creator. She took some. And she ate it. But she wasn't blamed. God blamed Adam. I'm not going to dive into that, but you can, you can discern some things about creation and the order of creation and who was responsible and who has that authority to be responsible. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. 
And the Bible says sin entered the world through one man. One man. The first Adam. And then all of hell broke loose. And that's the world we're living in today. We see right from the start, human beings have a propensity to want to be their own highest authority. Do what they want to do, when they want to do it, by their own fruition, by their own will. The knowledge we have sets itself up, so much of it, against the knowledge of God. The Bible makes it this crystal clear. This is what we want. I want to just talk about how absurd this is. It's just absurd. When you think about reality, the scriptures tell us that before there was anything, there was God. He was hovering over the surface of the deep by his spirit, and the earth was formless and void and without shape, and he, he brought order out of this chaos, and he fashioned together land and sea and separated the land from the sea, and then on the land he caused springs to birth forth, and he planted seed, and the gardens started to grow, and he did all this, and none of us were present. No human being was present. And then he fashioned together the animals, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals on the land, and he saw it was very good, and then he fashioned together. He, he went, it says, to the dust of the ground. You see it here. He went to the dust of the ground, and he took some of the dust of the ground that he'd created. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but, but it's hard to get dust to stick together. And he took the dust, and he fashioned it, and he, he created someone made in his image. And then he breathed into the nostrils of that being the breath of life, and man became a living being. Guess who was in charge of all of that? Not man. Man didn't even vote, didn't even have an opinion. It was him, it was the great I am. The one who was and is and is to come. He did it. And then he caused that first man to fall into a deep sleep. You say his image was put into one man, but he said it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And so he pulled some of the flesh from the side of that first man and he fashioned together another being. And then he brought that being to the man. And the man said, now the man had some authority entrusted to him, naming rights of all that was and the working and caring for a small part of creation. And he said about this new being, he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And God did this. The mystery of, of men and women, God separating his image into two genders. None of us got to vote. This was his design. None of us had an opinion. Our opinion didn't matter. And then he designed a covenant. A covenant between God and man that we call marriage. When he said, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. He set those rules. He was the authority making the standards. 
And then in his marvelous, intelligent design, he made the man and the woman so mysteriously they were drawn to each other, a natural attraction because they came from each other and being drawn to each other, they could miraculously. I mean, it's, my wife and I lay in bed and we just laugh about this. Who thought this up? Who in the world would design the mystery of oneness that could also plant seeds and procreate? I mean, seriously. Just think about it. We didn't have any part of this. But that's how we're here. You and I sit here today because of God's design. See, those first two were created by him, but then, then it was different. The third one came from the, from the womb of the woman. See, and, and God was involved with that. He said, he said, I knew this first one before I formed them. I knew them. I had an idea of them. My, my eyes saw their unformed body before I created them. Who's in charge here, friends? He said, in the secret place, I wove them together in the secret place, and then I started to knit them together in their mother's womb, friends. Do you understand how intricately and, and marvelously and wonderfully each of you, each of us, is made by the Creator? And, and again, we have, we have no opinion in the process. All the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to be. And here's what's going to happen. He's going to knit us together in the secret place in our mother's womb. And then all of a sudden, when he decides, he's going to catapult us out into what we know of as the world. And we're still not voting. We still have zero opinion. We still have nothing to do with it. I had no choice in the matter. Yet here I am. You had no choice. Now I just, I'm just painting this picture because we think we want to be in charge. We think we want to write the rules. Set the standards. Bring the consequences. It's just ridiculous, friends. So here we are. Here we are. Made in the Imago Day. The crown of his creation. Made by him to represent him. To, this is what kings in the Old Testament did. They, they put images of themselves around to display who they are. That's what God has done. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He knows exactly what's happening on our planet. And as long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest. It's not going to stop, friends. God has set it in motion. We can't stop it. He has a plan from beginning to end. And here we are in this period in history in our little garden. And we do now get a vote. We do now have an opinion, you see, as we grow. We get more and more of opinion, you see it, in Clayton, little three-year-old. You see it all around. 
on the internet and the news. And God makes it clear, not only did he form us, but he still wants to be in his love for us. I mean, no one loves us more in his love for us. He wants to be the most authoritative, influential, forming and shaping force in our lives. By the power of his Holy Spirit poured out upon us and by the instruction given us in his word. He wants to be the most authoritative, forming and shaping influence in our lives. But he tells us he's not the only one. In this world now that has fallen away from its original design, there's all kinds of forces and pressures working to shape us. The scripture, the scripture mentions the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. A third of the created beings in heaven have been fallen and been cast to the earth here. And they're the principalities and the powers of this dark world. And there's only so many of them, they try to consolidate power in places so they can control us. It's happened from the beginning and it continues to happen today. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms wanting to manipulate and control us. And they came, Jesus said, they came to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. And they're at work. And then there is in this world now great suffering and pain and hurt and heartache. It's part of the curse. It's a part of the consequence. He said, man, by the sweat of your brow, you'll carve out a living. With thorns and thistles, you'll groan through it. You see, and God did that. He allowed that suffering to help shape and mold us and draw us back to him. The great author C.S. Lewis said, God whispers at us by his spirit. He, he talks to us in our conscience, but he screams at us in our pain. And through James, through the pen of James, he said, in suffering, consider it joy so that you can build character and perseverance and hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, friend. There's spiritual forces of evil. There's suffering that we have to react to and navigate through that's shaping and molding us. And then there's all of each other. We all have influential power, influential authority in each other's life. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman sharpens another. It's been said that the four or five people we hang around with the most are the people we'll become like. Paul said, God said through Paul's pen in Corinthians, he said, a bad company, if you hang around with the wrong people, you'll develop bad character. My dad simply said it this way, it's hard to fly with the eagles if you peck around with the turkeys. And I'm not saying that facetiously. Every human being is made in the image of God, but God speaks of foolishness and people being foolish and who we hang around with. And we let them rub up against us. We're going to be conformed some by them. Spiritual forces of evil, sufferings and pain, all these forces are, are upon us. And then out of the people and the spiritual forces of evil come what we call Myths, ideologies, narratives, messages, music, songs, and all of this stuff the Bible refers to, there can be outright lies in old wives' tales. And God is there, wanting to be the primary influencer and shaper of our lives by His Spirit and by his word. But see, we don't want it. 
The time will come, Paul wrote to young Timothy, under the inspiration of God. And I would say the time has come when people will not put up with this. They won't put up with it. They didn't in Jesus' time. They won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own flesh, internal desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers. They'll bring teachers who have ideologies and old wives' tales and narratives to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the Creator. And they'll turn to created beings who make stuff up. They'll turn aside to these myths. Spirit of God came upon the Apostle Paul and he penned a letter to those in Rome who were, who were being affected by the, the ideologies, the narratives. And he said this, do not be conformed or shaped by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is. Two things out of these texts, I mean, it's, it's just happening. You need to understand, friends, it's happening all around us all the time. People are making stuff up about our world. They're making stuff up about how politics should operate through their own ideas and their own opinions. They're making stuff up about where money should be in our lives and what purpose money should serve. They're making stuff up about what a marriage is and how a family should operate. They're, they're making stuff up about our identity and human identity and human sexuality. They're making stuff up about eternity, where we came from, where we're going. There's just all kinds of old wives' tales and myths out there, friends. They're making stuff up about our origins and the meaning and purpose of life. You see, all these questions about these things have been told us in his word. It's a measuring stick, a plumb line, a yardstick for helping us determine what is real and true. And God, God wants to shape our ambitions and our goals and our dreams, our view of money and time and resources and what honors him, our view of what is seen and what is unseen, our view of where we came from and where we're going. He wants to shape them. And, and if we let him shape them, he says, as he shapes us, we'll become little g-gods. We'll become the very human beings in the image of God that he created us to be, not wallowing around in the cesspool of lies and myths and that, but living freely with the Spirit of the Lord, glorifying him in who we are with, with sound mind and, and courage and discipline and, and faith and Oh, it's something glorious to see. The more a person gets set free by the Spirit and Word of God, the less tameable they are. The less controllable they are. You see it in the Scriptures. Those that knew their God, they, did, they were strong and they did exploits. People couldn't control them. 
The governments came to him and said, no longer speak what's written in here about the resurrection. Don't do it. And they just kept doing it. God wants to shape our entire view of our existence here. If we don't let him do it, We'll come up with creative ideas and fun-sounding stories and things about reincarnation. We all go to the same place. But even worse, we'll miss what he has for us. And we'll come to the end. This, this life is simply just a test, friends. It's a trust we've been entrusted to, and it's a test. And we will be judged at the end of how well we did on the test. How well we did with what he's entrusted to us. And if we don't listen to it, we'll miss out on his good pleasing, and perfect will. Uniquely designed for each of us. Many of you have been serving the Lord for so many years, and I just want to encourage you in the culture today, please, don't quit. Don't quit now. We need, this whole conference, this whole conference, Cedar Falls Bible Conference, was arranged and paid for initially some hundred years ago by some people who were stewarding their money for the eternal kingdom of God because they were listening to what he's told us in here about heaven and hell and the gift of God being eternal life in Christ Jesus and and they were concerned about the ideologies and the lack of sound doctrine that was being taught in churches. And so they said, we need a place where we can gather and we can come listen to the teaching of the word of God and let it soak in on our hearts and minds and and come into us and transform us. This word that we're supposed to meditate on day and night, this word that we're supposed to let be our life, this word that that is more important than bread alone, but, but leads us into eternity. This is the one. And they gave their money to start a conference 100 years ago because of where the culture was at, friends. And we need it just as much, if not more, right now. And so we invite Bible teachers from all different parts of the country. And we invite them in because Paul said to Timothy, who was a Bible teacher, he said, study to show yourself approved. Study, be a disciple. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. The biblical illiteracy in America today is, it's so sad. It is so sad. People wandering around like sheep without a shepherd, following after their own desires and their own opinions. Because people aren't bringing them in love, the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved, 
a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus' prayer for us that we would be sanctified by the truth, set apart from the world by this, his word, your word is truth. I want to ask you, does your heart hunger and thirst for the living God? In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We hunger for this. Where can I go and meet with God? We need to be like the Bereans. Even with, the, with myself, you, you need to be like the Bereans. With, with the speakers we come in, you know, bring in this week. And Bible teachers you listen to, and anyone you listen to, they listened, they paid attention, and then they evaluated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God called them noble. Who has the most authority in your life, friend? Who has the most authority in your life? You? I have people all the time tell me things that are in the Bible that aren't in there. Are you studying to show yourself approved? The body of Christ needs called up and out and in to God. The next generation is coming. What is the church's job? Do you know it? Study to show yourselves approved. Let this, could I just appeal to you? Paul said in one of his letters, he said, in the power of Christ, I could command you. Nobody likes to be told what to do. But he said, instead of commanding, he said, I appeal to you. Make this your life. Make this your life. Man does not live on bread alone. This week, I mean, we're just praying that God would give his people a hunger and study to be approved. And if we do this, discipline brings confidence in the church. The world needs a confident church. Discipline brings confidence, which brings enthusiasm, 
and Theos, God within. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause for a moment before you in this time that we've set aside to open your word. We ask for your forgiveness for treating your word disrespectfully in dishonoring ways and even in disbelief please forgive us Father, we ask that even in this week, as we have set aside this time, that you would renew a right spirit within us and stir in us that that deep and passionate hunger that comes only from you, a supernatural working in us, to want to know you and to want to please you with our whole lives. But God, please do this in us and in your church in the world. Strengthen your church, Father. Prepare your bride. Call her out from the lies, from the deceptions. Give her discernment on myths. Purify her. Prepare her, Father, for that great wedding. Father, thank you for this chance. Continue to minister to us now in the way that only you can by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining CC Podcasts on Pray.com for today's Sunday service. Before I sign off, I want to give you a brief overview of the content that is available to you for free at ccpodcast.com or at the Christian Crusaders free mobile app. First, we have the CC Broadcast, which has been airing for 87 years, and Tim Butker, the preacher you just heard, is the main preacher on that broadcast. Second, we have the Daily Dose Devotional Podcast, which consists of over 850 episodes of devotions covering an overview of the entire Bible. You can join us in the book of John right now, or you can go back into our archive, the Old Testament or the New Testament, and pick up wherever you'd like. And finally, we have the CC Podcast Conversations, where I interview inspiring Christians with interesting stories. Right now, we've got over 80 episodes of long-form interview with all kinds of Christians from a former gangster who was convicted of murder to an NFL player to a former porn star, a plane crash survivor, a funeral director, and many, many more. I hope you'll follow our profile here at Pray.com or visit our website, ccpodcast.com, or download our free mobile app, the Christian Crusaders app. Until next time, thanks for joining us, and may God richly bless you. 
The podcast, The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham, is a moving and inspiring biblical audio experience that will help you master wisdom from the world's greatest book. In each episode, you'll learn to apply biblical principles to everyday life. Each cinematic episode is a journey through the Bible's most profound stories that will strengthen your appreciation of the Word and inspire you to keep learning. Listen to The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.